Today on Writers Get Animated, we talk about shows that have hit 300 episodes, which is surprisingly few. And honestly, I hope that we look as crisp and HD when we hit 300. Stay tuned. Good day and welcome to Writers Get Animated, a podcast about animation and storytelling and fungus that grows into civilizations on people's hands. I'm Chris Leva. And I'm Mackenzie Worrell. And if you had watched the 300th episode of Family Guy, you would know what that's in reference to. Uh, if and not, if you didn't watch it, you have made good life choices. I wouldn't go that far. So <laughs> on this show, we are very excited to finally be discussing Family Guy after putting it off, much like our um, Shrek experience from before of, of Shrek retrospective. I know. I'm just saying it was my Shrek experience. Shrek. I can't even say it again. Anyway, um, but looking at shows that have hit 300, and as Mackenzie noted, very few shows have made it this far. So, well done, Seth. Golf clap. So which shows have hit 300? Well, um, of course, The Simpsons is the longest running animated TV show. Longest single property show. Like, I'm sure if you count up all the various Looney Tunes, it must be above that. But that's like six decades and 32 different shows. <laughs> <laughs> Does not count. <laughs> yeah. The Simpsons, much closer to the 600 end of things by now. Um, I can't wait for 666. I think they'll do something fun with that. It'll be like a trios of horror. I don't know. I'm just spitballing. Hire me. Uh, <laughs> Family Guy just hit 300 this year. Um, and no other animated TV shows are that high. South Park is getting real close. It'll probably hit it this year or next, but they only have like 10 episodes a season. Right. They, they hit it in 2019, according to their recent... Um, contract and renewal. So, oh, okay. Fun yeah. fact. Fun fact. <laughs> so they too can join the 300 club, and maybe we will <laughs> talk about South Park for the first time when they. <laughs> That's the rule. If 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 we're not interested or regular watchers, when you hit 300, we will discuss it. You have our attention now. <laughs> you now have the attention of the illustrious writers who get animated talking about your show. I know it's such an honor. <laughs> you're welcome. You're welcome. I mean, there's a couple of people who got close. King of the Hill got close. Yeah, they got real close. But I also heard that, I don't know if this was like a campaign that someone wanted or it was real news or fake news. I don't know. I saw something about like a King of the Hill revival, maybe. That sounds like fake news. I know it does. But so many other shows have come back, not animated. It'd be the first animated show that made a comeback. Well, I mean, besides Family Guy, but that's a different situation. I feel like King of the Hill would be better as a live-action reboot. Yes. Having seen very little King of the Hill in my day, I feel like it'd be a good live-action show. I'm not sure why it's animated. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the couple of other shows... Um, that that are getting close too. You have SpongeBob. Yeah, it's getting surprisingly close. not at three hundred yet. Somehow, 
Yeah, I feel like that's been around for ever. And then Arthur, which I know your first thought is my thought too, like Arthur is still going? Yes. <laughs> Nonstop. There have been new Arthur episodes since like 1996. It has not been canceled. It is still going. I thought there was like one PBS special season in the 90s and that was it. I don't know what they talk about now in Arthur, but there must be things still happening. <laughs> it's always Halloween every year, you know. It's always <laughs> It's always a school year, you know. <laughs> I I don't know. That's so insane. So, congratulations family guy on joining the 300 club. Beep, 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 boo. Great. We'd also like to thank uh, Nigel Coutinho, our engineer. We also... <laughs> <laughs> now, we have things to say. <laughs> okay. We do. We do. Um, so, Family Guy. Season 16, episode 11, Dog Bites Bear. And... I don't know. By not being an avid Family Guy follower, like the last big Family Guy news that I heard was that Brian was killed off. And so the first thing I think when seeing this episode is, oh, look, Brian's here. I guess that means we're going to reset by the end of this to normal and nothing will matter and there'll be no consequences. That was my first thought watching this episode. <laughs> Actually, um, that was my first thought, too. Because <laughs> I, I, I remembered the news articles about Brian dying and then he came back or something. And I'm like, well, okay. I mean, it, it reminded me back to, you, you know, to quote South Park, Simpsons did it when Fat Tony died, you know, and they had Fit Tony who suddenly got fatter and then they just called him Fat Tony because they would, didn't want to call him Fat Fit Tony. So they just called him Fat Tony and he looked exactly like Fat Tony. So, yeah. <laughs> like, I understand the resets and the dramatic ways to reset thanks to the Simpsons, but... Yeah, I was just um like if you sticks. play with it, if you make it mean something or at least funny and meaningless. Like I think Fat Fit Tony is funny and meaningless, but ultimately not a very good episode. Sure. <laughs> it makes you laugh like I see where they're going with this cuz you see the mechanics they're like, "Oh, I see what they're doing. They're just going to reset it, but they're showing me how they're resetting it, and then we'll just forget about it because it goes back to zero." Mhm. Mm so great or in futurama there's the one i think it's the first omicronian episode and fry is like the speech at the end like if there's anything tv taught me it's that everything's back to normal by the end they zoom out and like new new york is still destroyed and there's people <laughs> screaming and sirens going off like you can make fun of it and do this trope well um but just seeing brian here I'm like okay cool so it made me curious about what happened, um, but not enough to look it up or watch it. <laughs> like, even going to Google to be like, how did Brian come back? What, uh, was too much effort. Yeah. So um, let's, let's talk about, before we get into the, the nooks and crannies and meat of the episode, the meat and small potatoes of this episode, Let's talk about what it means to get to 300 and what gets established for a show, hopefully, by the time you hit 300 episodes. Um, I think 
in if you if you look at Simpsons as our template, you have many things that have become cemented where you're able to do your style of joke. So you know what a Simpsons joke is, you know what a family joke is, family guy joke is, you can figure out, you know, how it's going to go, the timing of their jokes, the way they get delivered, who does them, what kind of joke it is. Is it a cutaway joke? Is it a um, a wordplay joke? Is it just a sign in the background? And it's also establishing all these characters and their respective tropes and how they operate. And then, as we talked about many times in our Simpsons episodes, there's what kind of episode is it? Is it a Bart-heavy episode? Is it a Homer-heavy episode? Um, is it a family, a Simpsons go-to episode? It's like, what kind of episode are you getting? And I think Family Guy has established some of those, mm-hmm. but it's not as, it, it's, it hasn't become as much of a template to reinvent and make fun of itself as its template. It just follows its template. If that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, like I don't feel like either either show did something spectacularly special for the three hundredth. Um, but talk about the kind of whose episode it is. I think that they both have gone with whatever their most popular character was at the time. Mm-hmm. Because the Simpsons one, which we'll get into later, is a Bart episode, and in the early two thousands, I think that it was very much Bart's show. Whereas now, I think it's much more Homer centric. That was around the time, though, around 300, um, a little bit before then, was right when it was starting to shift. Mm -hmm. So it was a very special thing to have a Bart-centric episode at that time. So, especially where Bart just gets a lot more screen time. Yeah. But that's that's getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. Yeah. But um, with this one, they put Stewie and Brian front and center, which... To be honest, if Family Guy was 10 minutes long and it was a show about Stewie and Brian, I'd probably watch it. (laughs) That's all I feel like I can say about Family Guy is if it was about Stewie and Brian and it was 10 minute episodes, I'd probably watch it. Because I don't think that with the kind of humor it does, it needs dramaturgy and story and narrative to be able to prop up longer than that. I feel. Yeah, I would definitely agree. And I think that, I mean, I've, I've said before the only like family guy world of shows show that I'm actually interested and will watch intentionally is American dad, because it's the same style humor, but with a plot and no cutaways and much more focused. Mm hmm. And we've talked about uh, a lot about improv humor and editing improv humor and having good improv humor, but structured and and put it in there. And it feels like Family Guy is just like, yeah, that's funny. We should just put that in. Yeah, let's just put that in. That's probably how it started. It was, I'm sure, small and scrappy when it started. That's what they could do and get done in the time and budget that they had. Like looking at early Family Guy, I'm like, oh, wow, this is different i mean 
There are some cutaways in Family Guy that make me laugh um, because you're cutting away to a joke or a satire that has nothing to do with the plot. And in some cases, if it's a well-delivered joke because it feels real, you know, sure, it makes you laugh. Like the, the one that I remember is always the bingo joke. I mean, that's the joke that I, I, I laugh every time. I don't know if I know this one, if you want to explain. So uh, Peter says, it's like that guy, someone lost an eye at bingo. And there's a guy with grabbing the balls and he goes, I 24. And he goes, oops. And he drops the ball onto the ground. You're like, oh, he, he lost an eye. And the guy bends over to pick it up and he hits his eye on the corner of the table and there's blood coming out. He's screaming, ah, ah. so it just reinvents itself. It's like, it's like, I, tw- oops. Ah, let me pick that. Ah, he's just screaming because of his he lost an eye. <laughs> so, so it made me laugh because it goes twice. It's like, oh, that's what they mean. Oh no, that's that's what they meant. <laughs> it's the double bait and switch. Exactly, which which made, and it ha- because it happened in Family Guy timing, which <laughs> is just fast for no reason. Uh, that made it funnier. When people fall on Family Guy, they do it in a single frame. Yes, as opposed to. You know, a natural falling down. They get hit and they're down. I'm standing, I'm laying down. But that's part of what Family Guy did. And I, like, as far as their style goes, I respect that speed a little bit. Mm-hmm. In terms of, like, its influence in the rest of pop culture. Because there's sure. definitely, I think Family Guy came at a time when, like, the comedic formula had been perfected. It was the 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 restoration well-made play of <laughs> primetime sitcom comedies there was a certain formula and they all felt the same it was everything was friends in pacing and style <laughs> and the family guy came along and said what if we do slapstick but minus the stick it's just all slap <laughs> everything moves fast in one syllable and it happens and it's unexpected or at least it was unexpected 16 seasons ago fair (laughs) i can value that and still not like family guy but i do value that yes i will i will agree with that that is um the way that their humor um it, it was it was very fresh and but as it's gone on it's just taken those and like well this is how we tell a joke and it hasn't I expected seeing episode 300. I feel like I'm talking about Disney Star Wars in five years. Episode 300. Um, There's a pop culture reference for you. Um, But episode 300 of Family Guy, I was expecting not to have it feel like the first season. Like everything that they have did in episode 300, I've seen before in some way. Except for one little story thing, which didn't last or do anything. But like, are you talking about the main plot? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The main plot. (laughs) (laughs) If if it can be so called, yes, yes. I'm talking about the things that happened in the episode. I know. There's before we even get into the main plot. Like, it's it is hard to call it the main plot because like watching the episode, I, I. had to pause five minutes in and go like, I don't know what the story is yet. We're five minutes into a 22 minute show 
and I don't know what the story is. And many Simpsons episodes have the same problem, so I'm not saying it's just Family Guy, but get there faster. <laughs> and then the B-plot, I completely forgot about until I had to write notes for this episode. It's like, oh yeah, that's what happened. Because it doesn't matter and doesn't do anything to the main plot and is not funny or memorable really in any way. It's completely unoriginal. I mean, it's... Yeah. I, I did forget that it was actually going on because, like most times in my life, I try to forget Peter Griffin. Like, I try to <laughs> forget that he exists at all. So the fact that it was like, oh, yeah, Peter's back. Like, my brain kind of was like, let's get back to the story that's interesting. Yeah. So I, he's just a detestable human being. Yeah, this He's just so gross. I'm trying to think of, like, redeemable Peter moments. Like, Homer is redeemable. I mean, obviously, Fry is redeemable. I'm not sure if there's, like, a similar, like, disgusting, morally reprehensible character on Futurama. But Simpsons, yeah, Homer is redeemable. He has his moments, even though most of the time he is morally reprehensible. Yeah. I mean, the closest thing you get is maybe Moe from Simpsons. But even he has, like... He's a character bored of trauma. Like, <laughs> yeah. And I'm not saying that Peter isn't. Um, you know, the interactions with his father show he's, you know, born of trauma, but my God, you just don't like him. Mm -hmm. Many people do, though. No, we I, don't. Uh, you just have to bring more to the table for me. Like, I'm not saying that characters have to be likable because that's not true. But if you're going to have the main character of your show, which in a show called Family Guy, you assume that it's the patriarch and not the British super, you know, super villain baby. Yeah. Um, I, I just feel like there has to be something more than selfish obnoxiousness. It's, it's just, I don't know. After 300 episodes, he's unchanged. Mm -hmm. But <laughs> that all that being said, let's talk about the, the A plot and the B plot. Okay. So Where do you want to start? Should we let's start with the B plot because then we can just <laughs> get it out of the way and never talk about it again. Here's Family Guy's B plot. Have you ever wanted the worn out cliche of I won't ever wash this hand again mixed in with the um, already told story of Bender creating civilization on his stomach in space that brews beer for him. Great. Then here's family guys. B plot. <laughs> the, I mean the slightly funny part of it. And I say slightly funny part of it, like 2% funny part of it um, is that he meets Booberry or a guy dressed up in a very bad Booberry costume, shakes his hand, and that's the celebrity that's like, oh, I will never wash this hand again because it's Booberry. And then he proceeds to not wash his hand and a civilization grows on his hand because he's not washing his hand. And that is a very Peter thing that's true to his character. Mm -hmm. Again, I can respect that also. 
Right. It's it doesn't feel false. It just feels tired. It's not like he met. I don't know. Any, um, Condoleezza Rice and shook her hand. <laughs> or Can Ru- you imagine Pete, Peter Griffin meeting Condoleezza Rice? Or RuPaul. That would be great. Or RuPaul. I feel like he'd be into RuPaul. Like current RuPaul, like already famous for Drag Race stuff now. We're like 10 seasons into RuPaul's Drag Race. You would get at least three different cutaways in their meeting. And then that would be your joke. And then shake his hand. Like, oh. <laughs> Because I imagine he's meeting RuPaul when RuPaul's wearing a suit, you know, with the bald head. Mm-hmm. Which is why I said he, and not hurt, you know, his, hers, his hand. Not her. <laughs> I just want to be real about which RuPaul, well, not that it's a different RuPaul, but I mean, like, which, how RuPaul is expressing. RuPaul himself. office show is suit RuPaul. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. There's no guest appearances as like RuPaul supermodel of the world. It's always RuPaul fashion model. And that's the RuPaul that Peter Griffin could have met in the, in the supermarket. Mm-hmm. Cause then you get to see what RuPaul is shopping for in the supermarket. Maybe, maybe it is booberry, <laughs> but it's frozen broccoli or something. Yes. I'm uh, trying to imagine like a, a family guy joke constructed around Peter meeting RuPaul now. I know, and that's more interesting. <laughs> it is more interesting uh, than Booberry. Boo, that's so. That's so boring. Boo. Anyway, yeah. so that's the B plot, and then the his the friends come in and try to wash his hand because that's disgusting to have civilization growing on your hand. Yeah. Um, forgettable. It's forgettable. Um, the A plot, which is really more like a B plus plot, um, solid. Yeah. What, what, what happens in the A plot? I like the premise of it cause it's rooted in something that could actually happen, but using the characters of family guy mm. and what could actually happen is that the family dog could destroy the family baby's favorite stuffed animal. Mm-hmm. And that's what happens. And then we plug in um, alcoholic writer dog and British supervillain baby who are best friends and <laughs> see where that goes. <laughs> it writes itself or it should. It does up to a point, actually. Yeah. And then it unwrites itself at the end. <laughs> Which is the least satisfying part of the episode. Yeah. I, th- I, thought, so, it w- I thought it was going to go somewhere and then. They ran with a tail between their legs. So Brian and Stewie are like watching a movie. Brian's upset that Stewie's talking to his stuffed bear the whole time. He goes and gets a drink. Next morning, Stewie comes down and sees that Brian's ripped his bear apart. He decides to stop being friends with Brian and wants to go on a bus trip to Vermont to scatter his stuffed animal's ashes. And Brian won't let him go alone because he's a baby. <laughs> Which is always nice when a show remembers like what their characters are. It's like I, I think the best Simpsons episodes are like, oh wait, Lisa's younger than ten. Like those are the episodes that really matter. It's like, wait, 
they're kids. They're not just plot devices. They're it's a kid. So yeah. Yes, of course the family dog would go on a bus ride with the baby to protect the baby because that's what a dog would do. Makes total sense. It it was nice to have a Stewie and Brian centered show. I feel like even though Family Guy is based on animated shorts um, that Seth MacFarlane did of essentially um, Peter and Brian, that it was essentially a man and his dog. And I know that that's where the show's heart started from. But really when they paired the dog and the baby, two characters that shouldn't be speaking at all, and who are the smartest characters on the show, the most intelligent characters there, when they paired those two up, the show is at its most interesting because they call out each other's um, interesting parts. Yes. <laughs> like, and, and they're nice. It's, you get the, the jaded form of Stewie, essentially. Like, look, the world is going to be rude to you. And then Stewie thinking that he's going to be able to conquer everything. And it's like reality and hope but British supervillain hope and, and, you know, drunk rider reality <laughs> fighting. It's, it's just two sides of the same coin, really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll go with that. <laughs> they are nice foils for each other. And it's a, it's an interesting dynamic and maybe the dynamic that's the reason the show has lasted this long. Yes. And presumably why they brought Brian back. Yeah, they, they, they're the heart of the show. And every time they were not on screen, I was bored. I was bored <laughs> with the episode. Um, I mean, I don't know why we spent f- two, three minutes on a tired Deadpool cutaway joke. You know, I don't even remember this. It's already repressed. It, it was... It was a thing that Peter says is a throwaway joke, and then it was like a two-minute-long Deadpool, and I use air quotes massively, parody, because all it did was put Peter in a Deadpool suit and do Deadpool-like action. it's, It's not even that they were commenting on it. It was just, look, isn't it funny that Peter Griffin is dressed as Deadpool? Oh, and we cut off someone's head and you see their brain. Isn't that funny? And the, the, the answer is no. The this must be no. why I repressed it. Yeah. I was just, it's gone. It, I just couldn't believe it. And it, it just went on for so long because that's the other family guy thing. It's either a really quick joke or it's a joke that goes on. Mm-hmm. Um. And it, it just wouldn't stop. And I was like, this is still happening. Like, did it? Maybe they were making a point. Like Deadpool, this joke won't die. I can't give him that. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> you had me for a second. <laughs> you had me for a quick second. And then I just, I just can't go there. I just can't do it. 
I will say the cutaway that I think really that I hated in this episode was everything. And I like Danny Trejo, but I hate the Danny Trejo cutaways. Because Family Guy got to this like vulnerable emotional moment that could have been on par with like the mediocre Futurama emotional moments. <laughs> and they immediately cut away to Danny Trejo being like, oh, thank you. Like, this ruins the moment. You've just ruined your moment. And, and not in like a Futurama, like, because Futurama is very good at taking its saccharine moment and cutting under it in a way that both the comedy and the heart lands um, on a silver platter. You have the heart like sweetened by comedy, like a honey glaze of comedy on top. Mm, honey glazed heart. Honey glazed heart. That's that's the great. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking the ending of um, Luck of the Fryrish, you know, where it's yeah, you're you're laughing the exact. You're, <laughs> you're, <laughs> you're crying, but then you're laughing because they're playing the Breakfast Club song. Like it just it just undercuts it, but it makes it sweeter. See, I thought of it for a different reason, which I think is the complex Futurama joke level because they're as they're playing that. You're seeing Bender giving Fry space in a nice touching moment, but as he's giving him space, he's dragging away the bones of the Mouseketeers that he's been gathering. Which is true. There's also that sight gag in there, too. So it does take it to that other level. You're like, of course Bender's giving him space. It's a nice, friendly, emotional moment. And also, of course, Bender is grave robbing the Mouseketeers. Because it's being honest to who's in that scene. Mm -hmm. It's being honest to Bender, and it's being honest to Fry. So it's letting... Both characters live in their authenticity. And the Danny Trejo cutaway isn't honest to anybody's character. Maybe not even Danny Trejo's character. I don't know. I feel like we saw a real Danny Trejo. Like, I... That's true. I'm, I'm judging based on his movie performances. I assume that he's like the hardened, like, guy. I assume, like... I don't know from from a lot of people. I assume that he he's strong yet very vulnerable in a lot of ways, and that's where we do a cutaway where Daddy Trejo's thanking us for and feeling like really embarrassed. If it maybe if it were animated Danny Trejo who was walking by, and then you realized oh they were making a reference to him because they saw him, may have been a little bit better than cutting away to a live action Danny Trejo in a studio. Yeah, I, I don't know what any of that. It's like they couldn't find a celebrity to guest in the episode and they just dubbed over whatever celebrity they had because they got to film a last minute bit with Danny Trejo. And rather than animating it, they just kept it filmed. <laughs> it's like, we need a celebrity appearance for our 300th. Ah, Danny Trejo, you're here. <laughs> I, I laughed at them. But what you're saying in terms of degrading the emotion of the moment is absolutely true. But it is not as guilty as the end of the B-plus plot, where exactly what you feel when you start this episode, exactly what we feel when we started this episode, comes completely true. Brian and Stewie sort everything out. There's an emotional resolution. Rupert, the stuffed bear, is gone. Everything is undercut because Brian finds a replacement Vintage, exact same looking Rupert Bear for Stewie. End of episode. That was the worst. So dumb. 
what I would have wanted, if anything, is to either leave him without the the stuffed animal or Brian get into bed and, you know, lay down with him and hold him because they're, fr- you know, it's about the reclaiming of their friendship. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, Stewie laying down and they're kind of like hugging each other, being there for each other as, you know, as friends. Or they find something new and they decide to give a new toy a new home. So it's not that you're replacing the old the old toy with the same thing. It's like, you know what? This guy needs us. And now the three of us can be friends. You know, there's there wasn't a transformation. It was the reset button that yep. was that was so upsetting. And I will say that there was a really great moment in the episode, which was Brian talking about how Stewie is so mature about everything except this one thing. Stewie, I just don't get it. You're so mature in so many ways. You're, you're the smartest person in the house. You're incredibly perceptive. You're wiser than people 40 times your age. Why is Rupert the one baby thing you're hanging on to? Why are you so upset over a doll when I'm real and I'm still here? Because Rupert was going to be with me forever! He wasn't ever going to leave! So what? I'm not leaving you either. Oh, really? Brian, let's be honest. You're a middle-aged dog. You don't have that many years left. And one day, all too soon, I'm going to be crying at your funeral in an Armani suit. And people are going to be like, oh, nice suit. And I'm going to be like, why are you talking about my awesome $2,000 suit? My friend's dead. Feels like that story is less about me and more about your suit. Go to hell! Besides, if you don't believe Rupert was real, why are you so jealous of him? Why does it bother you how upset I am? That is a very good point. And it's something that we all think about. It's like, oh, those times where Stewie remembers that he's a, that they remember that he's a baby, you know, calling for mommy, mama, mom, mommy, mom, mom, like that scene. But any time that you remember, oh, yes, he's a kid. He's, he's a baby. But even though he's, is grown up in a lot of ways that there's still some parts of him that are emotionally, because a lot of times, and speaking as a father, your child may seem and get the best of you because they seem exceedingly grown up, you know, and, and able to handle things. And then something happens and you realize, no, they're not quite emotionally there. Like, <laughs> like you're not all the way there. You're, you haven't made it yet. And then you remember, oh, no, no, you're a kid. You're a kid. You're, you're not like past this you're still learning emotions and learning how to deal with things so speaking of people who forget our kids and are still emotionally learning how to deal with things should we move on to the simpsons i think we should okay (laughs) simpsons season 14 episode 11 barding over and we're talking about this one because it's advertised as a 300th episode (laughs) even though it's not it's actually the 302nd episode. Yes. Which they call out in the episode, which is great. Even though in the episode, they also call it the 300th episode in the opening. <laughs> That's Simpsons always wanting everything. I want it both ways. 
<laughs> well, I think Fox wants it one way and Simpsons wants it another. I guess that's probably truer. <laughs> Fine, it's the 300th. But we're yeah. going to tell everyone that it's not. <laughs> and I don't remember much about this episode, so rewatching it, I was like, okay, the plot is equally as preposterous as Family Guy at this point. Yeah. I. <laughs> so, <laughs> what is the A plot of Barting Over? So, Bart is... For despite all the reasons that he thinks that Homer doesn't love him and has it out for him, um, Lisa and Bart discover that um, baby Bart was in a commercial on TV that uh, Bart finds embarrassing, even though no one has ever mentioned it to him before or seen, um, and that they made some money off it, but Homer spent it all on something mysterious. They never quite clarify what that is. So he decides to emancipate himself from his parents and get divorced. So he moves into a downtown loft and beats all the early 2000s heroes that a boy could have. Tony Hawk, Blink-182, a VHS player. Um, (laughs) And hilarity ensues. Yeah, it is interesting that the thing that separates him finally is being cheated out of money. Like, sure, the the emotional violence is one thing. The physical violence is another thing. But being a baby, baby stink breath was the, the here's some, here's some, what is that? Uh, breath spray for, or mouthwash for babies, which is, yeah. Which I love, like, the warnings on it that it's going to kill, <laughs> not suitable for babies, essentially, kind of thing. Um, but you have baby stink breath, that that's the thing. When we know Homer and Bart's relationship is all just, they're both essentially stunted children. Bart is a 10-year-old in body and mind forever. and Even though he is 10 right now. Right. And, and Bart and Homer is mentally and emotionally a 10 year old forever. I'd give him 16. Yeah, probably. Because you have some puberty stuff in there. So, yeah, we'll give him 16. But stunted emotionally. Yes. Forever. Which they reference in this episode, too, because he says, my dad was emotionally and physically abusive, and I turned out fine. <laughs> oh, goodness. And so they, we do have the court with the lovely female judge who comes in, who is the one voice of reason on The Simpsons, typically. I feel like this when you see that judge, you know that justice is actually going to happen. As a pro- Any judge or specifically that judge? That judge. That okay. judge. Because usually the other judges are like, I'm going to allow this. So they're like the men people and... The men, the men people. I don't know what I meant by that. <laughs> the men folk. The men folk. Um, and then... But she's the judge. She's a recurring character. I, I know she's been on multiple ones. But she is like a voice of reason. But, but she's based, it feels like, a Judge Judy-esque 
kind of feeling to her. Like, look, I'm going to tell it like it is, and I'm going to disrupt this because I'm going to do exactly what should happen, which is Bart to be separated from the family. But I'm going to do the Simpsons version of that, which is Bart can live on his own, and you will have to pay him, essentially, money, like part of your income, for him to live on his own. Half my money goes to Bart, half my money goes to my Vegas wife, and no money goes to Mo. <laughs> the whole construction of that joke, I think, is wonderful. Because it's like stating the obvious bemoaning here, like, oh, okay, yeah, we're playing along, here's the plot point, we'll laugh along, okay. It's Homer being Homer about this. Half goes to my Vegas wife, like, oh, there's a throwback to several seasons ago, <laughs> which The Simpsons never does, great. And no money goes to, and of course he's going to bemoan his family, got it. Mo. oh, okay. Uh, so (laughs) it is ridiculous um, and yet like it makes sense based on the world and relationships that that are created except for the reasoning like that if, if you take out the reason if you say like (laughs) <laughs> if it was a continuation from another episode, it makes perfect sense. But if you take out baby stink breath, you know, then the episode makes more sense, I feel. Like, just just have Homer st- strangle him. It's like, you know what? This is this is the 300th time you've strangled me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not. I'm done. Like, put your 300 joke in there at the beginning and then it we're we're off to the races. And I think this is really like when the strangling starts to fade away too. Mm-hmm. As a recurring joke. And they it seemed like they wanted strangling to be the reason, but they couldn't like find a dramatically compelling enough reason to make strangling for the umpteenth time be the reason that Bart's pursues this. Because it's hard to justify like this has happened this many times, therefore I'm done with it. Yeah. And it is something that makes does make me uncomfortable now. And that's why it's gone now. <laughs> Watching old episodes, you see them like wrap a belt around each other's necks and like it's like, oh my goodness. <laughs> this was funny before. And now it's no it was it ever funny? Like you start to question like were we laughing at this, or was this just something silly because they were basically Tom and Jerry, but in human form? And it does- I think The Simpsons started as like absurdism in terms of like family dynamics, and now it's absurdism in terms of plot. <laughs> we have rooted family dynamics now, but the plots are absurd. <laughs> you can't have both. <laughs> I suppose so. Um, which I think the strongest point of The Simpsons is character. So that's where I think Simpsons, it's not a contest, but that's where Simpsons wins in terms of characters and what happens to the characters and having a reason that the characters are doing things. And we know that by the end of the episode, much like any, you know, any of their other episodes, that things will reset, that Bart will be back in the family and it'll be fine and no one will have necessarily learned anything although in many cases the simpsons do have 
things that don't reset, just not in this episode. Right. So I think there's there's the possibility that it might not reset, which I think works for The Simpsons and this episode, where you think things are going to reset, but you're not 100% sure. Or if it does reset, things are somehow a little changed. Yeah. Like Lisa becoming a, a vegan or vegetarian. Vegetarian. She, she was a vegetarian. I don't know if she moved into vegan. I think she's just vegetarian. Okay. So... And there was that one brilliant episode where um, she, Lisa, had the eating disorder. And Homer's like, yep, everything's back to normal. He's like, no, I still have these issues with my body. And he's like, nope, everything's back to normal. (laughs) (laughs) So Yeah, I guess that's why I'm more willing to forgive the Simpsons reset than I am the Family Guy reset. But I think it, it... Anything that affects the family has to reset back to the family dynamic. Like, that's the push and pull, but at the end of the day, that family comes back together in that same way, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think their relationships between the core members have to be the same, even if how they express them may be different. Yes. And once you get to 300 episodes... And 600 episodes and <laughs> and beyond. You, the 100th was the greatest milestone. <laughs> you, you end up with this... <clears throat> you end up with this push and pull that it's like, how, how are we going to reinvent things but still keep that core the same? And I think in the most recent seasons, there was a lot more time jumping. Yeah. To allow for, look, we can show the progression of character and still next week come back to the way things were. I mean, they, Modern Simpsons has like so few episodes per season that are just the Simpsons formula. Cause like there's a treehouse one. There's their holiday anthology one. There's the Simpsons go to blank one. There's the Simpsons in the future one. Like you just have all the episode points you have to hit each season that there's less room for things like barting over, which aren't tied to any template episode format. It's just, we're making Bart the center of this and it's going to be a Bart experience throughout. The closest, yep. the closest thing we get is the, um, the Lisa episode of Halloween of Horrors. The one that we love. The one that talking we about. Yeah. We just keep going back to it because it's just so good. It is so good. It's and this one is a little bit of remembering who Bart is because Bart is um the Butterfinger spokesperson. Bart is a kid who likes skateboarding. Like it it just tries to remember what Bart is and the only way to deconstruct Bart is to remove him from the family. So, you know, really, you know, take some Bart time. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of good stuff. This episode. I definitely laughed a couple times. I still enjoyed it, even though I forgot completely about it. It, it made me long for a simpler time in the early two thousands. You know, was that a simpler time? Having just seen, like, Lady Bird last night, 
uh, which is not an animated movie, despite what the name may imply. Um, it's a period piece set in the early 2000s when this episode came out. <laughs> so think about Lady Bird a lot watching this episode of The Simpsons. <laughs> So, um, when, what can we say about, is there something that we can say definitively about when you've reached 300 episodes of what you're going to be experiencing or are there specific paths when you reach this milestone of 300 episodes? I feel like once you've hit the 300, you've just, you're just laying back and thinking of England. You just let it happen and then eventually if you simpsons it you find your second wind you come back around you have a, a rallying cry for a little while um and that's just it you just buy 300 like don't give up there are still original things to say and you can do it well with your show i believe in you <laughs> i believe in all of you even you arthur <laughs> not you spongebob no no congratulations on the broadway musical but oh uh, yeah what do they get to a simpsons broadway musical like that just writes itself yeah i mean they have the there's that play mr burns uh post oh yeah there's a bunch of like simpsons referencing plays yeah there was a production of macbeth that i wanted to see that was entirely done with simpsons impersonations Really? Yeah, because why? Why not? Why anything? <laughs> out, out, down, spot. That's the worst Marge. <laughs> Lady Macbeth. <laughs> I'm not even going to try an impersonation. No, no. We're, I think we're I apologize good. to our listeners. <laughs> I think we're good. I think we're fine. Okay. So... From anything that we watched, <laughs> do you have a um, favorite thing from either of the two episodes? I do. I have a runner-up just because um, I don't like what they did with it, but I like that very specific kind of joke. My runner-up is uh, Family Guy doing a running gag of Fast and Furious jokes. And I love <laughs> that. That's a very specific setup that I like. I love episodes of shows that have running fast and furious gags through the episode like i'm a sucker for it i don't think the family guy one was particularly memorable or good i just that's that thing i like i'm drawing a box in my hands <laughs> that particular kind of thing and i think there's enough of these that there is a genre of them and you could this is a type of joke you can do now thanks modern hollywood my actual favorite thing <laughs> is right after Bart finishes watching the commercial, he goes, I was in a commercial? I don't remember that. And then he immediately eats a Butterfinger. <laughs> <laughs> How about you? Uh, actually, um, <laughs> I think my favorite thing came from, in a weird way, the, the Family Guy episode. Go on. I mean, the runner-up is Tony Hawk, like, see you later, like and he says the wrong name. Like I, I enjoyed <laughs> yeah. for some reason. Like that was oh, we're back to a reality. I love when Simpsons does a reality thing. Like oh, sure, of course he's neighbors with Tony Hawk, but no, Tony Hawk doesn't care who this ten year old is. Like see you later, Bort, or you know whatever his name was. 
Bart. Yeah. Uh, what, what, what do you say? Bert. Yeah. <laughs> See you later, Bert. Um, but I, I think for me, it was the moment in Family Guy where Stewie and Brian are actually having something that I hadn't seen in Family Guy before, which was a meaningful conversation between two characters that meant something like it was so shocking that I, I just was so excited that it was happening. That was my favorite thing. Okay. I approve. <laughs> we do have a little bit of um, extra business to talk about this time. Just a little short thing unrelated to the show's topic. Um, I haven't watched the video yet myself, but it's out there. I've been reading analysis of it. Uh, Butch Hartman posted a video to his YouTube channel about why he's leaving Nickelodeon. And I thought it was really, at least the analysis of it is really interesting. Hmm. <laughs> not having seen, have you seen it, Chris? I have not watched it. No. Okay. But Chartman, of course, is the creator of many, many beloved Nickelodeon shows, fairly odd parents. Um, Danny Phantom, Danny, I was going to say the teenage ghost one, <laughs> <laughs> Danny Phantom. Um, there's a third one. And then the, most recent Bunsen is a beast, which ended after one season. I forget the one in the middle. Oh, tough puppy. Exactly. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Butch. Um, but really interesting guy. Interesting sense of humor. Everyone who has listens to our podcast probably has seen fairly odd parents. It's just a staple of culture. Now that's another show that's still on. I know they have a baby now. It's weird stuff. <clears throat> okay. But essentially he's living Nickelodeon because None of those shows belong to him. And yeah. that's definitely a thing in animation. And comics had this revolution in the 80s and 90s of going to creator-owned properties that have spawned many of beloved modern comics characters that aren't DC and Marvel. And that really kind of brought the comics resurgence back. So is animation shifting in the same direction where we're going to have creators owning what they do? And I think this movie has been in the works for a while because Butch Hartman kind of went in the course of a year from having almost no social media presence to like building a brand, interacting with followers online before he left Nickelodeon. So I think he's been planning this for a while in building a following and a presence so he could actually leave and probably post stuff on his own channel and have directly it, to the audience. And have it mean something that way. I don't know about that, but you know, this would be the push and pull of like being creator owned, but also. I'm going to guess, maybe not specifically Butch Hartman, but other people, um, that need of having an editor producer <laughs> to tell you no to things. Hmm. Hmm. I'm interested to see where it goes. Mm -hmm. I think it's an interesting moment in animation. And um, as RuPaul would say, I hope you don't mess it up. <laughs> and see, we'll I circle back. That's a running gag. Thank you. That's how that's how that's how it's done. Um, I would say we will post a link to that video in our show notes, which you can find on our Tumblr, writersgetanimated.tumblr.com. So check those show notes out. We'll have a link to that and other fun things. Um, should we talk about what we're doing next week? Or oh next, yes, please. Next two weeks. Next time. Next time. Next episode. Next episode.
for next time, we're going to talk about the um, Oscar-nominated animated shorts for the 90th Academy Awards. Uh, so this episode will air right before the Academy Awards, so do brush up on your Shakespeare. I mean, Academy Award-nominated animated shorts, um, which include this year uh, Pixar's Lou, which aired before Cars 3, um, Revolting Rhymes, which um, is aired on the BBC in the UK. Question mark? Yes. Um, Negative Space, which is a sh independent short film. Dear Basketball, Kobe Bryant's Retirement Letter. <laughs> you heard me right. <laughs> Just roll with it. Um, <laughs> and there's a fifth one. Garden Party, another independent animated short so you can see all those right now they may be in theaters uh so try and catch them if you can but it's typically like more arts theater oriented um if not some of them are available through the internet in different ways uh most of which are legal <laughs> so do that see them in a legitimate way awesome <laughs> So, as always, we want to say thank you to our engineer, Nigel Curtino. Thank you to Jacob Reed for our theme music. You can like us on Facebook and interact with us, interact with us there. Syllables. Um, Facebook.com slash WG Animated. Um, you can also find us on Twitter, at WG Animated. And as Chris mentioned earlier, you can find all of our show notes on our Tumblr, writersgetanimated.tumblr.com. Dot com. Do. Good night, everybody.